0: I hope you enjoy this message from South City C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. I have the privilege tonight of finishing off our series called What Sex Got to Do With It. And if you've been tracking along with our series, two weeks ago, John T. shared about singleness and sex. Josh shared last week about dating in sex. And this week, I get the privilege of sharing about marriage and sex. You'll notice that this series on sex is strangely not all about sex, even though I have said the word like seven times in the last five seconds. However, it is not all about sex is because sex is not purely physical. So we can't talk about sex with also talking about our mental and our emotional and how we steward our lives. And if you want to have a passionate marriage and sex life for those who are married, then you probably have realized by now that your sex life is not the sole contributor to whether or not you have a passionate marriage. So. I want to give you three tips tonight on how to fuel passion in your marriage. And if you're sitting here right now and you do not have a ring upon your finger or a love interest by your side, don't completely check out because there might be some tips in here that you can apply now in order to fuel a passionate marriage. So Joshua, can I have you come up for a moment? I'm going to turn down the lights in just a moment here. There you are, if we could turn down the lights. Boy meets girl. Their eyes lock. They share a smile across the room. There's a spark. The first conversation, the first walk holding hands, the first accidental leg brush, a rush of hormones, long chats, a sweet kiss, late night conversations, parent introductions, a bent knee, a new jewelry accessory. Planning for the big day, walking down the aisle with a sweet tear and a smile, life begins as one. Joint finances, a house to share, a mortgage, dinner together, endless dishes, a bed to climb into, too tired for sex, the joys of sharing a life, the frustrations of sharing a life, passions dim, the spark that once was so bright goes out. And unless you have something substantial to fuel the fire of your marriage, you can put the lights up. Unless you have something substantial that you can put on the fire of your marriage, then your marriage, the passion, will eventually go out. Just like a campfire that can't keep burning on its own, so are our marriages. A passionate marriage is fueled by intentionality. Let me say that again. A passionate marriage is fueled by intentionality. I intentionally have to pick up these logs and put them in the fire once, twice, Continually, if you want that fire to burn for decades, you continually have to put something substantial into your marriage. Back home in Michigan, we have a wood fire, uh, a log burner that heats our home. And in Michigan, the winters get wicked cold. So my dad goes out every morning, midday, and evening and puts logs in the wood burner. And if he doesn't, that fire goes out and our house goes cold. He has to intentionally put those logs in the fire. In the same way, in order to have a passionate marriage, we continually have to be intentional about exclusivity, humility, and creativity. So I'm going to share three tips. We're going to focus on these three areas tonight. Maybe I can stand them up here. We're going to focus on these three areas tonight and how you can add these to the fire of your marriage in order to have a passionate marriage. Now, these are not the only three things that you need to have a passionate marriage. But these are the ones that I have found are critical in our marriage to keep it burning. So we're going to unpack these three areas tonight. So first step, first tip to being, to fueling passion in marriage. Be intentional about being exclusive. A question that I love to ask, especially when it comes to my faith, is why? Why did God part the Red Sea? Why did God choose those specific disciples? And right now, why do babies poop so much? (laughs) I ask why. And I want to ask why did God create us to be exclusive? Why should I be exclusive in my marriage? Why not be a polygamist? Have you ever asked that? No, I haven't either. But why not be a polygamist? (laughs) The answer is simple. (laughs) The answer is simple. The more that you give of yourself to one person, the more intimacy you share with them. We have an innate desire to be fully known and fully loved. And God designed marriage to offer the relational framework for that to happen. The closer, the more intentional, the more exclusive you are with your spouse, the deeper you will go. In this earthly, I I keep referring to this because that's my husband, this earthly relationship mirrors the relationship that God desires with us. This relationship is a living demonstration of this relationship that God wants with us. He wants to be exclusive with us. That's why it says, you shall have no other gods before you. God repeatedly said that over and over again. And he also said, I am a jealous God. He didn't want Israel to have any other lovers. He wanted to be Israel's only one. He was saying, if you want relationship with me, it's going to be exclusive. Saying yes to the new covenant, saying yes to being a Christian, is saying yes to oneness with God. There's no room for you to worship the sun or the moon or Buddha or yourself. He wants all of you. He wants to be exclusive. So he invites us into that covenant relationship with him, but he also gave us marriage so that we could experience a covenant relationship with another human being. So no wonder our marriages are attacked. They're the the living representation of this relationship. But every time you choose your spouse, you are upholding the covenant to say yes. You are choosing to be exclusive, and that demonstrates this relationship. Now, I wish I could tell you that exclusivity was always easy. But unfortunately, unfortunately, it is not always easy. Attraction doesn't stop when you put a ring on it. Wouldn't that be nice if attraction just stopped? You're done. You don't look at another person. You never say, oh, that person's attractive. But if you were here last week with Josh's sermon, he busted the myth that said there's the one and only. So what happens when you meet someone and you're compatible with them and you get married? And then a couple of years later, down the road, you meet someone else that you actually are compatible with as well. What do you do? You make a choice. You make a choice to be exclusive. In Proverbs 7, the writer depicts this very scenario. And the advice that the writer gives reveals something about the process of adultery. It says, do not turn aside to her ways, and do not stray into her paths. So you're walking along life, and you see someone who's not your spouse, and you feel attracted to them, that's not a sin. To see someone, that's not a sin, but what does Proverbs say? Don't turn aside to them. Don't begin to put your mind, your emotions on that person. You see them and you say, no, I'm going to be exclusive with my spouse. Because if you turn aside your mind and emotions, you begin to then stray into that path. I heard it once said that marriage isn't just about not having sex with other people. It's not just about being physically monogamous. It's about being mentally monogamous. Because you're choosing to guard your mind and emotions. And I also heard it said, if you shop, if you window shop long enough, you'll eventually buy something. If you are meditating on another person who is not your spouse, your footsteps will end up going that direction. I want to expand this definition of exclusivity beyond the threat of turning aside to another person. Because passion gets snuffed out in your marriage when anything, anything, causes you to turn away from your spouse. Josh, can you come on up? So, Josh and I are married. Aww. Yes. (laughs) We are married. We share a house together. We share a life together. We share dinner together. And we are part of each other's lives. I know what's going on in his life. I can read when he's sad. I can read when he's happy. I can read when he's mad. Yeah, that's what he looks like when he's mad. And I get to see his life. I get to be a part of his life. But life gets stressful, right? Anyone get stressed? I get stressed. And sometimes, instead of date night, I'm like, babe, I just need space. Can I, I'm just going to veg out, and I'm going to watch a movie. And I turn slightly, and I can still see him. I can still see that he's agreeing with me. But then the movie ends, and I still feel stressed. And so I discover Gilmore Girls, and I binge-watched Gilmore Girls for two weeks. And um... I feel a little bit disconnected but I can still like see him you know out of the corner of my eye I think he's happy sad he's angry something he's something but he's right there I know he's right there and then Gilmore Girls ends Lorelai Lorelai ends and I discover YouTube YouTube is endless the move, they just keep going. The preferred or the next, next uh, video just keeps going. And I now spend eight hours a day watching YouTube. I'm saying yes to YouTube and therefore I'm saying no to Josh. We can have an affair with anything. We can have an idol of anything. And that takes us away from passion with our spouse. Hi, babe. <laughs> you can sit down, thank you. <laughs> so, God calls us to be exclusive with our partner, that nothing would turn us away from them. So if you're feeling distant from your spouse, ask yourself, is there anything that I'm saying yes to that is getting in the way of relationship with my spouse? And if there is, begin the process of turning back towards them. This is not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time decision. We often find that we feel disconnected here and there throughout the months and the years. But we make the choice, we make the intentional choice to be exclusive. As you intentionally choose exclusivity, it will fuel passion in your marriage. Second tip to fueling passion in your marriage, be intentional about being humble. John Gottman, a psychologist and researcher, has done extensive studies on what the leading factors for divorce are. After 30 years of research, he concluded that the leading factor for divorce is contempt. He defines contempt as a feeling of superiority, of being on a higher plane, which I happen to be right now, being on a higher plane over your spouse, pride. When you let pride continually be the vehicle in which you relate to your spouse, it will extinguish passion. When Josh and I first got married, I was quite prideful. And of course, I would not call it that. I would just call it, I was better than him. Because I was more organized, I wrote to-do lists, I got a lot of things done. I'm an achiever, and that made me a better person, I decided. And the more I saw his weaknesses, the less I could see anything good about him. And when I would bring up this or that, he would listen, he would want to discuss it, and he would apologize. But nothing he could do or say felt good enough for me. And there was one night, I was standing doing dishes. I was doing the dishes, I just like to point out. So I was feeling very good about myself. And I was just, in my head, I was like, I do this, I do that, I do this. He doesn't do this, he doesn't do that. And I was just like, God, I need help because we're not headed in a great direction. And I so clearly heard the small, still voice of God. And he said, Sarah... You are partnering with the devil right now. And I realized that the devil tries to take our weaknesses and say, because of this weakness, you're no good. And I was looking at his weaknesses, and I was saying, because of this, you're not a good husband. You're not a good person. And I was labeling him. And from that moment on, I was just like, God, to the heart. And I said, God, would you help me to see him as you do? And I stepped on the journey of humility. I had two major issues. One was that I viewed myself better than Josh. I was comparing my strengths to his weaknesses and not taking the time to see his strengths. The second issue was that I communicated to Josh that he was the problem. And we do this so easily. We take this and we thrust it at our spouse and we say, you are the problem. You are always late. You are super dirty. You are never listen to me. And we continually say, you are the problem. Instead of putting the problem down and stepping back and looking, it at, looking at it together and then finding a solution, we say, hey, I feel really frustrated that you're always late. How can we work this out? So you look at the problem together. And as you do that, as you're intentional about humility, it will fuel passion. In Philippians 2, it says, In humility, value others above yourself. In First Peter 5, 5 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride separates us from God. Pride separates us from our spouse. And I think if Josh had been proud in the early days of our marriage, we would be in a much different place. But because he was humble and modeled humility over and over and over again, even when I threw it in his face, it began to change me. Humility brings people closer together. So the solution, if you're seeing your spouse through that perspective, through that lens of feeling better than them or everything they do is just wrong. If you're seeing their weaknesses, pray. Ask God for perspective. Ask to see them as he sees them. And number two, when you face a problem, face the problem together. Don't label your spouse as the problem. And as a side note about sex, humility asks, what can I do to bring pleasure to my spouse? And if you haven't discussed your likes and your dislikes, talk about it. If I were to ask you what your spouse's favorite sex position was, which I will never ask you that question, but if I were to ask you that question, you should know so that you can humbly serve your spouse. Because humility will breed passion. Third tip to fueling passion in marriage. Be intentional about being creative. This is yet another one that does not come by naturally. Once married, we tend to get into a routine. There's stress, and there's life, and there's busyness, and you just get into this pattern. So we have to stop and ask ourselves, how can I love my spouse today? And I use the word creativity because the way your spouse feels loved is probably different than how you would naturally love them. I'm basing this off of a book called The Five Love Languages. Have people read that? Okay, cool. Um, So this is a book called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And he explains how different people have different ways of giving and receiving love. So some receive and feel most loved through physical touch, some through quality time, words of affirmation, gifts. Some feel love through service, like doing the dishes, hanging up your jacket, cleaning the floor, vacuuming. You can tell which one I am. And you have to figure out what love language your spouse has so that you can love them. Well, Josh was at work. Um, He used to go to work. And I would clean the house and I would do the laundry. And I would be like, man, I am on a roll. Look at me. I am an amazing wife. (laughs) And I'd feel really good about myself. And then Josh would come home and he wouldn't notice that I cleaned the house or did the laundry. Why? Not because he's malicious, but because he doesn't receive love that way. And once I learned about this, I began to retrain myself of when I asked myself, how can I love Josh right now? I wouldn't go to clean the house, I would write him a text of what I love about him or I'd put notes all over the house of things that he's good at. Or at the dinner table I would say, you know what I love about you? And I learned how to creatively communicate my love. It wasn't natural, because that wasn't how I naturally gave love, but it fueled passion when I chose to be intentional about loving him that way. We serve a creative God. He's the one who created marriage. He's the one who created sex. And he will give you ideas on how to fuel passion in your marriage if you ask him. Apply creativity to your sex lives. Don't get bland. Don't get stuck in the same thing over and over again. Read books. Ask advice. Try new things. Initiate different ways. Be creative because as you are intentional about creativity, it will fuel passion in your marriage. Can I have the band up? Exclusivity, humility, and creativity. If you can take these logs and continually throw them on the fire of your marriage, your fire has a better chance of burning hot and bright for as long as you both shall live. And it's my desire, and Josh's too, that when our teeth fall out and our hair is gray, we would still be that couple who look at each other with fondness and admiration, and who smile about a whole lifetime worth of inside jokes. And if you want that, if you want a type of marriage that burns with passion, then you must be intentional. So I want you to ask yourself tonight, and singles or dating can do this as well, which area of my life can I be more intentional in? For single people, maybe it's asking yourself, do you walk in humility with your close friends and family? Are you creative with the way that you love the people around you? Ask yourself, Questions pertaining to these three areas. So I want you to take a moment. I'll be silent for a second. And I want you to look at these and say, which one, Lord, can I improve in so that I can increase the passion in my marriage or in my friendships? Go ahead and ask yourself that. Jesus, I thank you that you designed relationship. I thank you that you created marriage and that you desire for it to have depth. You desire for us to have passionate marriages. And Lord, I ask that we would be discontent with anything less than passionate marriages. I pray that you would teach us, Lord, how to walk in a way that's pleasing to you, where we honor our spouses, where we walk in that humility and exclusivity and creativity. Would you help us, God? As you highlight one of these areas, I pray that you pour out your grace to walk in them well. We love you. In Jesus' name.